In the name of Jesus, amen. As Jesus was going to Jerusalem in his journey to the cross, he went through Samaria and Galilee. And there he entered a village and there were 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And the truth is that we don't hear much of leprosy or see it much today. But it's in reality a horrifying, a disgusting and debilitating disease. The skin, the mucous membranes, and all the nerves in the body change for the worse. The skin becomes discolored and disfigured. The flesh is infested with tumors and growths, and the body is disfigured and deformed. And as if this weren't bad enough, the flesh and the organs of the leper waste away on the inside. So this means that parts of the leper's body would die on them. And they would carry around dead body parts on their living body, whether it would be a lifeless limb or a rotten organ or a decaying muscle in them. It's horrifying. And little by little, bit by bit, organ by organ, the leper's body would continue to die until there was nothing left living in him. And so you can imagine the revolting stench that emanates from the leper and their dead body parts that he had to carry around with him for several weeks or months or even years. But that's not the reason they had to stand at a distance. They stood at a distance because it was contagious. And worst of all, there was no cure. Leprosy was not a joke. It was incredibly sad and gut-wrenching. So lepers would wander around aimlessly. They had nothing to aspire, nothing to achieve, nothing to hope for. In their disfigurement and in their misery, they were just complete outcasts from whatever village or society or community they used to be a part of. And nobody called them by their names anymore. They called them, the, the crowds had to point them out and call out leper whenever they were around. And the lepers had to uh, speak of themselves and uh, warn others of their approach by crying out, unclean, unclean. And it was a life that had no joy or hope or even identity. No doctors to help, no priests to confess to, no family to live with, just other lepers. Their only company was those who shared the same miserable fate of dying a slow and painful death. So you can just imagine how their hearts would sink and their stomachs would turn when they discovered that they had leprosy. To be diagnosed as a leper was a living death sentence. All of their hopes, their dreams, and their desires to have a family, their desires to, to, to succeed in work, to make a name for themselves, all of this was brought to nothing in an instant. And everything they had was taken away in that very moment as their body was slowly dying. And the very day that they were diagnosed with this was their last day at home. The husbands had to leave their wives. Mothers had to say goodbye to their infants. Children were sent out of the house to die without a hug or a kiss. The once young married husband had to look and wave at his spouse from a distance knowing that he could never have or hold her again. The young mothers had to leave their homes and children only to watch them live and grow from far away while they themselves slowly died. So there you have it. This is the context for today's gospel. You have 10 lepers, 10 of these people, who are living out this death sentence of a life, a life of pure sadness and despair. 
And by comparison, if you think about it, it makes our own problems seem uh, very, very insignificant and like nothing compared to that. But these lepers cry out and they cry out unclean every single day. But today is different because they see Jesus and they're able to cry out something else, something better. And when they see Jesus at a distance, they set their eyes on him and they cry out, Jesus, have mer- Master, have mercy on us. It's a wonderful confession. So to cry out for mercy means to ask that God doesn't give you what you indeed deserve. By crying out for mercy, these lepers admit that they deserve not only this anguish, but also anything that was worse than that. And yet they sought God's help and his aid by saying this. So this cry for mercy was a confession of faith, that Jesus was their only hope, the only one who could save them, the only one who had mercy to have on them. And the one thing they needed was his mercy. So if, if you haven't noticed already, this is precisely what we sang at the beginning, at the beginning of the divine service, the Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy upon us. Because when we sing this, we're confessing that we're in as much need of his mercy as those poor lepers. So Jesus hears them, and he doesn't do anything. He speaks. He commands them. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. And so you can imagine what's going through these lepers' minds, saying, okay, we cried out for mercy, and you're telling us to go, to go away. And you're telling us to go, we who have leprosy and who aren't allowed in the temple, you're telling us to go to the temple to see the priest. But because you say so, we'll do it. And so slowly these puzzled lepers start to back away and start limping over to the temple. And on their way, hundreds of feet away from Jesus, one by one, their bodies are being healed as they go. And they look at their own flesh and the flesh of the others, gaining life again with every single step that they take. And their bodies are being healed before their very eyes with every step they take. Their pain and anguish is being left behind. And so you can just imagine their joy. But they can't believe what they're seeing. They're flooded with emotions. They're overwhelmed with joy. They start to gain momentum. They're running faster, sprinting to the temple. Everything they lost is now coming back to them. Their wife and their children that they couldn't hug goodbye in the first place, they're now able to hug them and hold them and have them for the rest of their life. They can finally sit down again to eat with their friends that they haven't seen in years. You can, you can just picture the lepers pushing each other in, in joy and excitement to show themselves to the priests just so that they can run home to be cleared and run home back to their families. And just you picture them running in and knocking on the door and you see the, the disbelief in the wife's eyes and the children's faces when they see the one who was gone from them who was as good as dead now back. Yet as these nine are running to the temple and running back home. One, one of them stops dead in his tracks. And he was a Samaritan. And he looks down at his body and he sees that he's healed and he turns around and he sees Jesus in the distance. And even though he was filled with the same excitement and the same emotion and joy as the other nine and had all those other things coming back to him, While everyone else ran to the temple and home, this man does an about face and he runs to Christ. 
And he runs to Jesus, praising God at the top of his lungs. And he throws himself face down at the feet of Jesus, thanking him with every fiber in his being, believing and confessing that Jesus is God and that he has had mercy on him. So you can imagine Jesus filled with gladness at this one, this one man who came back. And you can also imagine his sadness because of the other nine. In fact, you can hear it in his voice when he says, we're not ten healed. Where are the other nine? Those other nine lepers whom he loved so much, whom he loved to the point of having mercy on them and having compassion on them, they left him in the dust and they forgot him. So even though all ten lepers had faith at first, When the nine received what they asked for, when their needs were met, when they got what they wanted, their faith vanished and it was nowhere to be found. Whether they didn't return because they had an obligation to show themselves to the priest or whether they were overjoyed to have their life back and didn't return, that doesn't matter. Either way, once their prayer was answered, they left Christ in the dust. They only needed Jesus as long as they were in need. They only wanted him when they had something to want. So to them, Jesus was a means to an end. So we learn that whenever we refuse or neglect or forget to thank God for what he's done for us, we join those nine thankless lepers who left him behind, who left him in the dust. It's nothing new. It's our sinful human nature, the corruption of our ungrateful heart that's bound to thanklessness. That we long for things and then once we receive them, we're too busy to thank God, the one who gave them to us in the first place. We call upon God when we need him and then we forget him when we don't. So think about it. How many come to church when life is difficult, when sorrow is great? when the burden of guilt and shame is heavy. But when marriage is fine, when finances abound, when the body is healthy, they're nowhere to be found. And those of you here today, when you pray, how many of your prayers or prayer requests to God are a request to God for what you want and what you need? And how many of those Uh, of of your, your total prayers are prayers of ones of thanksgiving and praise for what he has already given you. And so think of yourself even more. Do you live a life of thanksgiving? If someone were to describe you, Right, to, to say, this is who this person is. If, if they were to describe you, would they call you a grateful and thankful person? Or would they describe you as one who is thankless? One, would the first thing that comes to their mind be how much you complain and how you always think life could be better and how difficult this life is and how God owes you one? Do they know you as one who is constantly comparing what uh, what you have to what others have? Do you look at the life of others and are you dissatisfied with your own life? Do you get jealous that others look happier than you do? On the other end of the spectrum, even if you're not discontent with this life, even if you do enjoy everything that you have, even if you're satisfied with how your life is in this very moment, have you thrown yourself at the feet of Christ, thanking and praising him, crediting him for all you have, 
Have you daily confessed that everything you have received is without merit or worthiness in you? Or do you think that you somehow deserve this good life that you live? Have you prayed as often as you should? Have you thanked God for all you have? Have you listened to God's word and studied it and learned it as you should? Have you done all of these things without grumbling, but with the most profound thankfulness and gratitude that God would even deign himself to speak his word to you? How many times have you been like those nine who received what they needed and then left Christ in the dust? So if you live a thankless life, if you find this ingratitude within you, if you're not as thankful as you should be, it's because you've forgotten the horror of your own disease, the disease of death and sin. You've forgotten how much of a sinner you are. You've forgotten how much our sin deserves nothing but death and condemnation. If you're ungrateful and don't have the gratitude you should, it's because at some point you stopped believing how terrible your life would be without God's mercy and grace. And when you forget how great your sin is, you no longer know how great your Savior is. So dear saints, repent. Repent and turn around. Turn around and look at the one you've left in the dust so many times and see him in the distance. Look back at the one who, you, who looked at you in your poverty and in your pain and had mercy upon you. Run back to the one who healed you of every illness even until now. Even whatever illness or disease ails you this very moment, this very second, remember that he hasn't let it take you. He hasn't let this sickness overcome you. Not yet. He has given you life even right now. So come back to the one who had mercy on you when you cried out for it. And thank God for healing you of an illness much worse than leprosy, the disease of your sin which destroys both body and soul, the sickness of wickedness which brings eternal condemnation. So turn around and fall at the feet of the one whose feet were crushed for you, whose body was disfigured for you, whose blood was shed for you, so that you would have life. Fall on, the knee, on your knees at the feet of Christ, your God, who has given you more than you even dare to ask for, who has had more mercy on you than you can ever think or imagine. Praise Christ, who has forgiven more sins than you could ever confess, who has given you more life than you can ever live. So daily, you need to learn to fall at the feet of Christ and thank him like that Samaritan. To put your faith and hope and trust in Christ when you are suffering. And to do the same thing even when you're content, knowing that true faith gives thanks to God in good and in bad. Jesus isn't a means to an end. He's our beginning and our end. Remember that the more you're forgiven, the more thankful you are. So confess your sin all the more, knowing that his mercy is still greater. Learn to confess that you deserve not a thing, not a hair on your head, not an ounce of blood, not a breath in your lungs. And when you learn to confess these things, that all of these things come from his fatherly divine goodness and mercy. And when you do, you'll begin to lay your cold and thankless heart at the feet of Christ. Remember always that he has done more for you than you can ever thank him for. That there's still thousands upon thousands of unknown graces and mercies that he has had upon you. 
An entire life of thanksgiving is one that's only begun to thank him. And when Christ resurrects your dead body from the grave to give you eternal life, remember in that moment that forever will still not be enough time to thank him for what he's done for you. Hear the words of this hymn. You have suffered great affliction and have borne it patiently, even death by crucifixion fully to atone for me. You did choose to be tormented that my doom should be prevented. Thousand, thousand thanks are due, dearest Jesus, unto you. Then for all that wrought my pardon, for your sorrows deep and sore, for your anguish in the garden, I will thank you evermore. Thank you for your groaning, sighing, for your bleeding and your dying, for that last triumphant cry, and shall praise you, Lord, on high. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.